Thanks for listening to the Thyroid Fixer podcast with your host, me, Dr. Amy Horniman, AKA the Thyroid Fixer. Also functional medicine practitioner, hormone and weight loss expert. We're talking all things thyroid, hormone, and health related in order to empower, educate, and transform you. Remember, I fix your thyroid, I fix your hormones, I fix your life. So let's get started. Are you finally at your wit's end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. So joint podcast between myself and Nat Nim, we're going to introduce each other, but this, this is just going to be a fun one. For anyone listening, this is just going to be fun and real and raw. And it's Nat and I talking about all the things we talked about off camera, just talking about our daily regimens, our diet, our exercise, our lifestyle interventions that we do and don't do perfectly. Because I know many of you listening you think that when you listen to her and I, that we do it all right. All of those interviews that we do with the experts, all of the tips that we give you, that we implement that day in and day out, and that we're living our life in front of a red light and an infrared sauna. But that is not the case. So I'm going to turn the mic over to Nat to let her say a couple of things. And then we're going to get into this very juicy, real conversation. Yeah. Well, Amy, that was perfect. And, you know, we were trying to, I mean, we were having one of those conversations you have before you record a podcast. And we always, I often come on my podcast and go, oh guys, if you could have just heard what we just talked about, it was amazing. It was a podcast. And, and, you know, we had this idea, well, let's let people come behind the scenes and hear about some of the stuff that we talk about, some of the stuff we do and don't do. And to your point, we do a lot, but if you really, like, if you listen to our podcast, it, we'd have no time in the day to do anything other than biohack. By the time we're done doing all the things that all the different hacks around cognitive health and, and this health and skin and this and that, and the supplements, of the there'd be no hours in the day. And so I think it'll be, it, it's going to be a great conversation about what and how do we prioritize the things that we don't negotiate on. And there are times when we can negotiate and times when maybe we can negotiate a little less. And I think that's going to be the beauty of this conversation. So guys, I think ladies and gents, hopefully you're in for a treat. It's going to be a fun ride and uh, pretty unscripted. So why, where do you want to start, Amy? Like, do you want to start with what we eat or? What, yeah, what let's start do? with nutrition. Let's, and yeah. we're going to start with you. So I'm going to ask you, so day in the life of not eating wise, what do you do? Do you have any regimens that you hold true to? Do you have a diet protocol that you're like, oh yeah, I'm keto, I'm carnivore, I'm paleo, anything like that? Kind of take us through your way of eating. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good one. Obviously the way I eat changes has changed a lot over the years. Like I started off paleo. I had jumped into paleo probably 15 years ago and it Mediterranean paleo, which is what I've always gravitated towards is definitely where I tend to, what I tend to favor. I've played with keto a bunch of times and I'll say that from my genetics and my, my makeup, high fat does not really work for my body. I've done it. And it, it doesn't resonate. Whereas this kind of Mediterranean paleo where I do eat more vegetables, I still eat my animal protein because I love it. And it, I do believe in how nourishing it is. 
that's kind of my default, but I would say, and I've kind of fallen out of it and I'm about to go back to it now that one of the most powerful eating patterns I've practiced over the last number of years has been Joel Green's two-day core. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a really interesting eating strategy that basically one day you're pushing insulin and the next day you're intermittent fasting and pushing proteins and fats. And it's very, it's a pulse kind of world. It does, it's very focused on feeding the microbiome in terms of that day that you're pushing insulin, you're you're eating the resistant starches, you're eating very intentionally different types of fibers and polyphenols and this and that. And then on the alternate day, you're eating the healthy fats and higher protein. What I would say that I've also in layered into that, because like so many people, in particular women, I struggle to get enough protein in, is I don't negotiate on essential amino acids. I use those every day. And the other thing that I've incorporated now, and I can go into why that is in a little while, is I've incorporated a good greens powder and a good reds powder. And also I've had to bring in very intentional fats in the form of I'm using carbon 60 formulas from wizard sciences. I'm using the phosphatidylcholine from body bio, I think it is. And I'm using the plasmalogens from day and good now. So it's, you know, it's, I don't know about you, but for me, it's a bit of a mishmash of all of the things that I've kind of accumulated. And it tends to be the way I work with my clients is we really, we don't say, there's no cookie cutter approach. There's what's going to work for you. What do you need? And how are we going to make this work? So that's me. Now, (laughs) really long answer. (laughs) Well, no, very interesting. So are you carb cycling? Because on the days where you say you push insulin, I'm sure a lot of people are like, sweet, I can have the pizza and the brownies that day. But you're not really going off on a, a cheat day like you said, it's very structured carbohydrate intake, right? Yeah, it's very intentional. So, you know, Joel got me eating things that I had given up on for years. So his program, but, but you know, it's a very intentional program. You do a lot of work on the microbiome before you launch into this. But I was not able to tolerate whey protein before I hit, I did his program. I was not able to tolerate beans and legumes, which I know people are saying, wait, beans and legumes, anti-nutrients, phytic acids. Ah! So if they're cooked properly, they're actually a really, really great source of different types of fibers. And here's the thing that he impresses on people that I really think is important. And that is that you're not alone. You're not the only one that you're feeding. It's kind of like you're pregnant, but only different. You've got a community, a massive community of microbes living in your gut. And if you're not intentional about feeding the different communities, what they need, the ones that you want, the opportunistic ones that you don't necessarily want too much of, have an opportunity to get a leg up. And I will tell you that that's a little bit about what's happened to me over the last number of months. I've gotten myself into a little bit of a tight spot right now, and it's from probably too much travel, staying in places that were not, that may or may not have had mold, like that place in London that had black mold under the sink. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's great. Or, you know, having a disrupted circadian rhythm because you're crossing time zones and you can hack that till the cows come home. There's still a price to pay. Right. And because of all the travel, you know, kind of getting a little lazy with the diet and things like that. And so you go for your gut testing and it comes back and it's like, oops. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a little bit of it's it's a good lesson in you know, no matter, no matter how much work you've done, you got to stay on top of it because it's, you know, it's like, it's a little bit like what I tell my clients and I'm sure you do the same because they tell you, but you know, I'm only doing this or I only do that. Or I know, or what if I only do this then? And you, and the sad message comes back, which is, you know, here's the thing you can negotiate with me till the cows come home. I'm good. I'm, I'm pretty flexible. Mother nature, on the other hand, could give a flying fajita (laughs) about your negotiations. (laughs) So true. Right. Oh my God. Um, 
the microbiome is the microbiome. It's a living, breathing entity. And if we don't take care of it and feed it properly, things are going to, it's a garden that's gone. That's, that's been untended for a little too long and it starts to, to shift. Not yeah. always to our advantage. Well, it's like the people that take probiotics and the same probiotic, right? You have Jamie Lee Curtis pushing the Activia yogurt. And I yeah. can't tell you the amount of people that I'm like looking at their supplement list. They're on Activia. They've been on it since 2008. And it's mm-hmm. this, it's feeding the same community of gut flora over and over again with the same probiotic. Eventually, some guys are going to starve. Part of your community is going to starve. Part of your community is going to rise up and start a war. So it's it's about the balance. It's it's basically what you're saying is we all have to find balance, balance even in travel. I mean, yeah. I have a definite love-hate relationship with travel. I love it because I get to speak at these wonderful places and hang out with you and these amazing people, but it Fs you up pretty bad. It really does from circadian rhythm to the food, to the hotels, to the, just everything. It just, you, you really do come back from any kind of travel way more exhausted than when you first started. Yeah. And then you start stacking those trips. Like, I don't know about you, but my spring was insane. And eventually it just, you know, it just, it, the chips line up against you kind of thing. So it is, it's, it's a good lesson in humility. And you know, what you were saying about the probiotics is such an important point. And I think this is why I think that, and I'm still going to need probiotics because I did, I went that next step. I did the microbiome testing and what came back is there are very specific strains that I'm deficient in that need support. And I'm going to need to feed them and supplement. Like I'm actually going to have to take very specific strains. And when we are blindly just throwing probiotics into the gut, you don't know that you're feeding the right ones and the wrong ones. And I will say, I'll go back to Droll again. One of the strengths of his program is feeding food to the microbiome. It's, you know, if you have a massive imbalance, it may not be enough, right? You may need to actually get those probiotic strains into the gut, but you still also have to be giving the food to the microbiome so that you're feeding the right bugs and, and any probiotic, I don't care which one it is. If you take it for too long over and over and over again, it's you're supporting a monoculture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's no probiotic on the face of the planet that is diverse enough to speak to all of the species of bacteria that we need to be harboring in our guts. Right. Right. And it affects, you know, it affects our body composition. It affects our ability to function cognitively. It affects our ability to sleep. It affects. And I mean, we were talking about this. We did still have a conversation before the podcast, even though you're listening to the conversation during the podcast or before the podcast, it's even affected my gut's ability to clear estrogen, right? Mm-hmm. I have an, like my beta glucuronidase, which is an enzyme that actually causes the recon, like your liver conjugates estrogen through glucuronidation. If your beta glucuronidase is off the charts, in your colon, where you've trapped that estrogen so that you're moving it out, you've got an enzyme that can break it up again. And so now it gets reabsorbed into the system. You guys have probably listened to enough podcasts between the two of us to know this is a problem. This is a fast track to big problems. So the consequences of microbiome imbalances can be very far reaching And it behooves us to get those tests. In my case, I did the vibrant microbiome test. There are others. Before you start pounding the probiotics to do that kind of testing, to find out where are the imbalances, where where did things go out of whack? And in, in my case, it's a bit of a chicken or the egg thing because the other test I did was a mycotoxin test. And it turns out I picked up some mold along the way could have been the hotel in Dallas, that stank of mold that I spent three days in, right. You know, it could have been any number of places. And it's not that these places aren't clean. It's that, you know, it's an overwhelming job and we can't control where we stay necessarily. Cause you know, Airbnb doesn't have, uh, an, an air quality scale yet. Maybe that would be a good thing for someone to add to help us pick the right places. And so that mold, that I was exposed to that somehow kind of became 
part of me has affected my microbiome and it's becoming kind of like a, a vicious circle that now has to be stopped. <laughs> right. And I'm sure all of the travel puts a stressor on the body. Well, we know it does. We know all the travel and changing time zones and the circadian rhythm being thrown off. That's going to put an additional stressor on your body. Now you add in the foods that you can't control, you know, the poofas that you're consuming from eating at restaurants, the just the travel food. I mean, come on, we're, we're not perfect. I'll admit I'm not perfect. Yeah, I try to grab like a beef jerky or something at the airport so that I can stay lower carb. But, you know, when you're stuck at a layover for five mm -hmm. hours, you're going to just say F it and eat some fun food and maybe have a margarita just to, to curb <laughs> the stress, right? So all of that that you did, that probably set your body up to be more responsive to that mycotoxin exposure, to the mold exposure. Whereas maybe if that was the first trip that you did in a year and you were all, yeah. you know, your, your health was solid and you've been taking care of yourself and then you're exposed to mold, eh, you'd be okay. You know, yeah. because how many of us are exposed to mold? I mean, every time we go to a hotel, come on, when's the last time they clean those ducks? Please, you know, and if you're in a humid place like Texas, Florida, psh, no, you're being exposed to mold. A hundred percent. No, I I a hundred percent agree with you. And you know, the good news is I think that I'm not knocked down by it. Like it, on paper, I should be not able to get out of bed, not making it through my day, not able to think clearly, like I should be completely non-functional and I'm not. So the good news is that all the work that we do do and all the work that we've done, it gives us the resilience that if we catch it in time, we can deal with it without it taking us down. Yeah. Right. And that, and this is a concept I'm sure that you talk to people about a lot. And I do is we do all the work, not so much in the hopes of being perfect, but it's in the hopes of building enough resilience into our systems that we get that buffer zone, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm right now in a buffer zone where things are not where they need to be. My bio microbiome needs some work. My adrenals need some help. I've got, you know, my thyroid needs some help. I, I need help in a bunch of different places, but I don't feel it, right? I'm still right. crushing my workouts at the gym. I'm popping out of bed in the morning. Some days a little slower than others, but I'm popping out of bed in the morning. I've got more energy than I know what to do with. I think that coming in to a challenging period, having done a lot of work allows us to, but the trick is not to get lazy and complacent and not look at your blood work and go, huh, looks like there might be some oxidative stress here. Looks like maybe your ferritin's a little high. Maybe that's looking like you're dealing, your body's trying to deal with something and not missing that opportunity to go deeper to see what else might be going on. Because if I hadn't gone deeper, I think down the road, it could have come back and bit me harder. Yeah, yeah no doubt. All right, your turn. Diet. Talk to us about your diet. Talk to us okay. about how does Amy Horneman feed that beautiful body of yours? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's start with my physiology. I tend to be insulin resistant because I had PCOS. I always say this, have, had, I don't know, can you have it when you're in menopause? I guess not, right? So I had PCOS, which made me always have a tendency to be insulin resistant. I also have type 2 diabetes in my family. Mm -hmm. I've always had to err on the side of lower carb. And like you, yes, I've tried keto, true keto, like the high fat keto, that totally backfires. So I can resonate with the people that say, I did keto and I gained weight. Yeah, because I was starting my day with like five tablespoons of heavy whipping cream in my coffee too. And then <laughs> figured out it wasn't such a good idea. Maybe that's a little too much fat, right? So a true ketogenic diet just doesn't work for me. I, I do go in between, I would say less than 50 grams of total carbohydrates per day. I don't do the net thing. I don't believe in it. I say, just count your total carbs and that's what your carbohydrate intake is. Screw the fiber and all of that. You want to know how many carbohydrates you're putting in. So I would say roughly around 50 or less on most days. Now, because I'm more optimized now, I'm optimized with my thyroid. I'm optimized with my hormones. I don't fluctuate. I don't do crazy competitive workouts anymore like I used to. So the scale isn't going up and down 20 pounds anymore. It might go up and down by five pounds. 
maybe 10, maybe. And so I really try to stay in that, that zone of being able to go out to eat on the weekends, enjoy some more carbohydrates. If I want a sweet potato, I'm going to have it. If I want some dark chocolate, if I want ice cream because it's summer, I'm going to go get ice cream. So I can, I can give myself that little bit of leeway, but I can't go completely overboard or it will backfire. So let's say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm under 50 grams of carbohydrates. Thursday, we go out to eat. So dinner time is maybe a glass of wine and some sweet potato fries because that's my jam. But I'm still having the steak. I'm still getting the protein in. And then Saturday and Sunday come along and I try to stay kind of within the confines of my diet, but that might be where I do. I go get ice cream or I've always wanted to make this, this brownie recipe. So I'll do that. So that's where I'll get a little bit more lackadaisy, still staying gluten-free, still watching my protein intake. I've actually been way better at getting my protein intake in. So I'm I'm hitting 120 to 140 grams of protein every day because I'm wow. super focused right now on building muscle. And we can get into the why because that's one of the things that I, I also lost with the GLP. So if we go down that rabbit hole, I'll mention that. But I'm really focused on building lean muscle mass. Yes, even at my age. And I'm actually starting to see by incorporating in some peptides, I'm starting to see that muscle rebuilding actually better than I was in my 20s when I was competing. So that, nice. you know, when you get those little wins, you're like, all right, I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to do this right every freaking day. So I've been getting in the protein. That's been really good. I always get in good fats. So I would say my diet in general is a cross between paleo and low carb for nice. the most part. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. we're on, we're roughly on the same, same plan there. And so what, I mean, I love the, the muscle building thing and maybe you want to, I'm, I have reasonably good idea and I'd love that you're doing this now. So we figured out before recording this podcast that we've got a little over a 10 year spread between us. And so, you know, Amy's working on things now that I was kind of working on at, at your age, but not as intentionally as you are. And I'm now focused on it because you know, being postmenopausal like 10 years out and having gotten a little bit of a signal a few years ago that said, hey, your bones not so dense. You might want to pay attention to that. And the fact that muscle loss is a natural part of aging. Mm -hmm. Plus, like you, I played with the GLP-1 agonist. So I too have really focused on building muscle, which on paper, a lot of people will say to you, not a thing. You can't build, you're not going to rebuild muscle at this age. And I will say to them, you're wrong because at KetoCon, where we ran into each other a lot and we first met in person, I did a DEXA scan yep. for the first time in five years. And it was with the same company, guess what, who I did it with the first time. Okay. And they still had my report from the first time I did it. And basically I was down fat, I was up bone and I was, I had lost the tiniest bit of muscle. And this is after GLP-1 agonists. So in my case, I was fortunate enough that I had my eye on maintaining muscle while I was on the GLP-1 agonist, which this is something, I think it's a blind spot that a lot of people, men and women have when they're, you know, they're so excited about losing weight that the finer points escape them. So why don't you talk a bit about your experience? Because I gather that it became an issue for you. It became a little bit of an issue. So it was, I was using the GLP, it's, I, I was using trisepatide, Manjaro. And really doing it every single week. And this is, I mean, when it first came out, when when you can get it for $25 at the pharmacy. Those yeah. days are way behind us now. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, damn it. Now it's costing me two grand, right? So I, I use the real prescription. And I, and I joke about this, that I actually got it covered by my insurance because... And here's where insurance actually worked for me because I had the PCOS, because I was put on metformin for my insulin resistance years ago. My insurance company thinks I'm a type two diabetic. So they're like, yeah, we'll cover that. So I got it covered. I was using it weekly. And then that Peter Tia article came out that someone had forwarded to me about, mm, we might be seeing some lean muscle mass loss with the GLP ones. And I'm reading, I'm like, no, I'm fine. And I kid you not, it was maybe two weeks later, I'm looking down at my arms and my legs and I'm seeing my mother's skin. I'm yeah. seeing like the gathering of the loose skin. And I'm like, 
I've lost muscle. Like my skin is loose because I have lost muscle. So, and no one told me, no one told us at the very beginning, maybe they told you, they didn't tell me to eat protein. Like it is your job when you're on these things. I don't care. Now I say to my patients, I don't care that you're not hungry. Do liquid protein all damn day if you have to, but you get it in to protect your muscle. And hindsight too, I probably would have stacked it with more peptides. I would have stacked it with what I'm on now. I would, I would have done things so much differently to protect my lean muscle mass, but I didn't. And that's okay. I'm a guinea pig for all y'all. So I definitely lost muscle mass. And that's when I really hunkered down and started getting in the protein like it was my job and then started spacing out the GLP. So Yes, I absolutely did get it back. I didn't have I didn't have hope when I saw my mother's skin. I I thought, oh man, I did I did lasting damage. It's not going to come back. But no, through lifting heavy and getting in the protein and then adding in a couple peptides, it absolutely did come back. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you know what? Our bodies are so resilient, right? So this is the thing, you guys, that I think that's really important. We just don't want to over over push too often, Mm. but the resilience of the human body is remarkable. So, you know, in my case, I, I was lucky that I maintained that lean mass. And part of it, I think the reason why I was able to maintain the lean mass is, you know, the GLP one agonist in and of itself does not cause lean muscle loss. It's, it's, it's like what you said, because on paper, it improves the uptake of glucose at lean muscle. So it should actually facilitate hanging on to muscle I mean, sure. Look, when you lose 30, 40, 50 pounds, you're going to lose some muscle with that. But as long as you don't lose strength, that should be fine. But, but, you know, if you don't have, if you're not feeding the muscle and you're not giving your body a reason to maintain this very expensive piece of machinery, which is muscle, which by the way, is the thing that's going to help your insulin sensitivity. It's going to be the thing that's going to help you to keep the weight off after you've stopped using the GLP ones here's the thing, not to mention it's going to keep you looking good, then it's the first thing to go because to the human body that is only interested in efficiency, it's like, we don't have enough fuel around anyway. This stuff's really expensive. Let's punt it to the curb. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to run at lower energy kind of thing. Right. I love that. But you had another experience with the GLP-1 agonist that I think is a really you know, it's a very interesting conversation that came out in the media and it came out in a very sensationalist way. We, and I think what's great is that the two of us both use the GLP-1 agonist very much in the same way and had very different experiences. So why don't you go first and tell people what happened with you? Yeah, for sure. So the, yeah, we're kind of getting into like some of the downsides of the GLP ones. I I still love them. I, I think they have a a place, especially in the treatment of obesity. My gosh, all those people that can't lose weight to save their life. Like this has been a game changer, but like anything has its downsides. So I got the Ozempic phase. Ah! So you hear <laughs> Manjaro phase, Ozempic phase, whatever, you know, it, it's termed in the media these days. It's true. Now, and we'll get into what we talked about off camera too. So my story is I went to my plastic surgeon. Yes, I get Botox. Yes, I get fillers. And they really have, they have this new fat filler too, which is really cool called Renuva, where instead of it being a hyaluronic acid filler to where you look like, you know, Joan Rivers with these big cheeks, it's actual fat that goes in and it kind of dissipates and then it builds back up and it's actually building this collagen matrix. So I've gotten that a couple of times. Well, my guys, where's the fat from? The fa- it's actually, well, they can do a fat transfer of your own fat. So that's the best okay. way to do it. But yeah. to do that, you have to get a little bit of lipo. I mean, it's kind of a, it's more than an in-office procedure. So Renuva is, and I have no, like, I'm not affiliated with them getting kickbacks. Although if Renuva wants to give me a kickback, listen <laughs> up, you certainly can't, right? <laughs> but no, it's um, it's made by one of the filler companies. I forget, like Allergan or something oh, like that. Oh, it's a synthetic and- it's a synthetic. It's a, it's, a, okay. it's a fat matrix that they have basically grown in a lab from, I want to say other people's fat. I'm not sure, but it's totally okay. safe. Totally safe. And then they inject it into the areas where you need fat. Well, I had gone to see my guy and that I totally trust with my face. 
And he said, you look like Skeletor. I was all sunken in below my cheekbones. And I could see what he was talking about because I was kind of noticing that too. And it's like, I thought to myself like, oh man, did I do this with the GLPs? Did I, did I burn the fat off of my face from using this thing? And I think I did, because if I look back at pictures, even before I started it, it, it wasn't, I had the, I had a thicker face in a good way. I had the fat here, which I now do because he put it back, but uh, yeah, I started getting that that Manjaro face, that sunken in fat loss on your face. That's amazing. That's crazy. And you know, what we were talking about is I didn't get that. And right? so I think that the things we need to keep in mind before we run screaming from the room going, ah, everybody's going to face is going to melt, right. is it has to do with your genetics. It has to do with, you know, there's when you lose a bunch of fat, you will in inevitably lose fat in your face. But how much we lose and where we lose it is very dependent on us, our genetics and our, our own physiology kind of thing. So I think that it's, it's like the muscle loss. You can't, it's not like the muscle loss in that you can't do anything about it. And we were talking about this before, right? How nice would it be if when you decided to take your GLP-1 agonist, you were able to say, okay, priority is get it off my middle, get it off my, my gut. I'd like to take a little off the love handles, leave yep. my ass alone and maybe a little <laughs> off the hips. Right? Yeah. Because like, you know, you have a disappearing, butt. your face sinks in. Yep. Oh my God. But you know, so your weight went down, but from all the wrong places. So that's not necessarily a pattern, but we don't get to choose how our body decides to get rid of fat has a lot to do with factors we can in some ways and in other ways cannot control. You can't control your face, but certainly if you exercise, you eat protein like it's your job, you do all those things, you can guide the reshaping of the body composition as it were, but you yeah. can't control the face. Right. 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 So I got lucky on the face. You got lucky in other ways. It's just, you know, and I do think that Part of the micronutrient depletion that I'm experiencing right now may have to do with some of my time on the GLP-1 agonists. Right. So going to that, because we're seeing a couple of things about gastric motility now. Yeah. And so, I'm, I mean, I don't have the gastric motility issues. Fortunately, there's some signs in my labs that my pancreas is maybe a little underperforming at the moment. And there's no definitive answer on that, whether that is due to the GLP-1 agonist or not, but it's not impossible, right? And I think that we're starting to see now, you know, we're now, what, two years out of like really a lot of people using this GLP-1 agonists. Mm -hmm. And because they've been around much longer than that. I mean, Ozempic's been around long, much longer, but, and the liraglutide and the deer, like there's other ones. But I think we're now starting to see where things can start to go sideways for some people and challenging the pancreas may be one of those. And so the one of the ways it shows up, of course, in a small percentage of the population is pancreatitis, which is a black box warning on both these products. Having said that, even in people who don't get pancreatitis, is it possible that it's stressing the pancreas? And if we're not careful, it could come back to bite us down the road. There's this issue of ongoing gastroparesis. So like a paralysis almost, or a lack of gastric motility, like from the stomach and the, the digestive tract. And you know, what I find kind of interesting is there's, there's a pop percentage of the population that's kind of a bit gleeful about this, right? They're kind of like, you see, I told you they're cheating and they're getting in trouble for cheating. Like, like right, right. You find that, like, I find that there's like, there's a little piece of that in the world where people yeah. are going, yeah, right. Like I told you. And, and as you said before, I think that these things have been a godsend for a huge, for a part of the population who are very overweight, who are type two diabetics, who cannot get the scale to lose. And if one more person says to me, oh, you know, all they have to do is eat less and move more. I swear I'm going to mm -hmm. hurt them because yeah. they don't get it. Right? right. If you are, and, and having said that, I have a new client that I'm working with right now. He's got about 20 pounds to lose. We just started working together. He said, should I be using a GLP-1 agonist? I need to lose the weight. And I said, you know what? No, no. not until we've tried. 
to change your lifestyle and your yep. diet and your habits and yep. your body. If you're not a yo-yo dieter, there's a really good chance. You, and especially because you're a guy, hello, um, <laughs> your body's just going to drop the weight. It's mm-hmm. going to be quite happy to get rid of it. So I think that some of these issues that start, are starting to come up that we understand in some cases and don't understand in others, it's enough of a caution to remind us that this should not be the default. Right. It's a tool. And you and your doctor and or healthcare provider or coach or whoever have to be able to sit back and assess, do I really need to lean into this? Is this the right thing for me? Or should I try other things before I go there? Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I never start there. I, I'm with you. I say, let's get everything optimized first and mm-hmm. let's get, let's rebuild your metabolism. Let's get you going and get the lifestyle factors in, in place too, because I, I do lovingly call these peptides, the Beverly Hills soccer mom drug of choice for weight loss, because what these <laughs> chicks will do out in Hollywood is they're just taking this and they're like, why did I gain it all back? And then some, when I went off of it, it's like, well, duh, you didn't change anything when you were on it. You just went into starvation mode and you're eating your Cheetos and your bonbons and like, Hey, the weight's still coming off. Let's face it. Because you can, you, you can cheat when you're on these GLPs, you're not going to gain weight. You're actually going to continue losing. So God, dare I say that out loud? So that's what these women are doing, men and women. They're not changing their diet and lifestyle. They're not getting their thyroid optimized. They're not getting their hormones optimized. They're not getting their shit together, basically. And they go off or they go on to a maintenance dose of the GLPs and they gain it back. And it's like, well, yeah, because you you can't use that as the first choice. You have to do everything else initially and then add that in when you hit a plateau or if your body isn't responding just to give it that little nudge. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think the other thing that happens to your point, if you're eating bonbons and donuts and whatnot, is you become micronutrient depleted, right? As Mm -hmm. it is, even someone who's eating relatively healthy food, because you're eating so much less, there's a tendency to become depleted in essential fatty acids and in micronutrients. But you take someone who's not eating a healthy diet on top of that and not eating a lot, you're draining your resources so that you really lose the the resilience that your body needs. And I think that's a little bit, it shows up in skin, it shows up in the tissues that we see because they become less healthy. Because yeah. even though there's less of you, you're not nourishing your body in the same way. So, so funny how this became, we just railroaded ourselves into the whole GLP-1 conversation, just, right? It's We're it's just so, following the path of wherever yeah, it goes. <laughs> it's, so, it's so fascinating that it's just so fascinating that this thing culturally has become such a big deal. And I think that the good news is there's so many of us and so many doctors and, and, and practitioners who are working really hard at understanding how to, what are the stop gaps? What are the things we need to do to protect people from the downsides? And then people like you and me, who kind of jumped in with both feet at the beginning, who, you know, were able to mitigate some of the issues, but we weren't able to foresee all of them are coming back and saying, oh, wait, here's another thing we need to watch out for. Here's another thing we need to be careful of. And, you know, hopefully, as you said, as kind of leading the pack, we're able to hopefully pass on this information to people and avoid people making the same mistake. Um, Well, we do this for you, all the listeners. We are guinea pigs for for all of you (laughs) (laughs) so that we can figure it out and pass it on. A hundred percent that. And we, you know, and I will say that, you know, the postmenopausal 15 pounds was really bugging me and I could not shake it to Mm -hmm. save my life. And, you know, I felt my best while on the GLP-1 agonist, when I was doing that two-day core. Mm, okay. Doing so those the combination. two together, yeah. the combination of the two really served me well. It it continues to evolve. This and, and I think when it comes to nutrition, people know that this is fluid. It's going to change based on your life stage. It's going to change based on your health status. It's going to change based on so many different factors. And, you know, being paleo and relatively low carb work seems to be my baseline. Like you, I also have type two diabetes in my family. I also have a tendency to insulin resistance, all those things. But 
And like you, the high fat, it didn't, it didn't work that well for my body. So we have to kind of find that middle ground kind of thing. But so finding that, that core or that, I, I don't know if it's the, the core is the right word, but finding the, the foundation of your eating plan, but knowing that you're going to have to vary it at different times, depending on what you're doing and where you're at, I think is one of the most important things to understand about nutrition for anybody. You know, there may be times when being carnivore for a month or two serves you. Right. Or being vegan for a month or two might serve you. I, I can't think of too many instances of that, but it's possible. Right. Um, I'm, I'm going to put it out there that it's a possibility. But <laughs> I tend to think of those extremes, and I agree with Joel on this one, I tend to think of those extremes as interventions, not necessarily as an ongoing plan. And you know what? I know that there will be people listening to me that will say, I've been carnivore for two years and I've never felt better. And I'm going to say to you guys, that's amazing. Just stay on top of your labs and make sure that it continues to work for you. Yep. 100%. And, and, I'm, and I'm not saying it's not. I'm really not. I'm just saying, keep an eye out. Just like I have to keep an eye out, even though I think I'm doing it all right all the time. But, you know, as you said, because of how crazy our lives get, just like everybody else's, sometimes you make a little allowance here, you make a little allowance there, you slip a little there, you slip a little there. And the next thing you know, you turn around and you're not doing what you think you were doing anymore. Right. We exactly. see it with our clients all the time, right? All the time. All the time. So I'm going to use that now to steer you into supplements because I think this is a really interesting area. And, and I'll just say one blurb about, about my protocol before I let you take over and then we can come back. I think it's interesting because I manufacture supplements and I still, I'm still not consistent with what I take every day. So anyone listening, please, I mean, we're going to get into the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of what maybe you should be every day and maybe what you can bring in and out of your protocol. But I just, so many people get so regimented, but then we hear the complaints. I'm on 25 different supplements a day and and I'm I'm getting sick of taking all these pills there's a time and place for all the supplements. We want to address deficiencies. We want to address whatever specific disease state or metabolic state that you're trying to fix or or optimize. But then again, we don't want you overwhelmed. And I even have my days where I get overwhelmed where I'm literally like, I don't take anything for a day or two because I'm just (laughs) sick of taking pills. So I give myself a break and then I get back into it. So I want to know from you, Nat, what what is your supplement protocol look like these days? The bioregulators, the peptides, the supplements, all of it. Yeah. So it turns out that right now, because of what I was talking about earlier, having done my labs, having found that I've got a lot of little whole, my dam is kind of leaking in a bunch of different places right now. I'm on a pretty robust <laughs> supplement program at the moment. I've got corrections to make up. I've got a gut microbiome that needs some help on top of food. I've got some mycotoxins I need to deal with. I've got some, you know, fats that need to be replenished. I've got all kinds of different issues. And I'm, I, I mean, look, I do bioregulators all the time anyway, because I'm in that clinical trial. So I'm bioregulator girl, but I'm leaning into certain bioregulators a lot more heavily right now because of some of the deficiencies and things that I'm seeing. So adrenal, stomach, pancreas, liver, thyroid, central nervous system, always the pineal gland, obviously. But so all of those really kind of honing in on specific bioregulators. But at this moment, I have to be pretty diligent on my supplementation. And even then, I have days like Amy says, you know what, I'm I'm giving myself a break. I'm for a day or two. There's any, but having said that, even within that, the essential amino acids, I end up taking them. The calcium deglutarate, because I have a real issue there, I'm taking, I'm not skipping that. The bioregulators, I don't skip. Okay. The essential fatty acids, I don't skip either. The carbon 60, I'm not skipping. So there's, there's my foundation has, my foundation stack has grown because of my increased need right now. Yeah. But when I'm optimized, I can easily fall back to essential fatty acids, to vitamin D3, K2, 
I take my magnesium like it's a job and I take my essential amino acids and then everything else other than my VHRT, I'll kind of flow in and out of, oh, and the other one is, is creatine. Mm -hmm. I don't negotiate on creatine. Yep. So so there's definitely a few non-negotiables, the powders, the greens and the reds that I've started taking, those are easy and they taste good and it's a drink. So I try to think of those not as a supplement, just as a matter of fact, I use them to take my supplements. Mm -hmm. So how about you? What are your, and obviously the thyroid, I, my thyroid fixer is always in my box. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Thanks for that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's true. (laughs) Very cool. No, uh, for me, very similar to you. So amino acids every day. I take those, I'll put them in my water bottle while I'm working out, sip on those. And then protein powder. I have to send you my protein powder. It is, I mean, honest to God, I've tried so many different protein powders and this one tastes amazing. So I look forward to doing it every day. That's what I have in here right now. I'll do this before a workout. And I've started doing it before a workout because I'm, I'm I'm working with this trainer who's an MMA fighter. And he's like, nice. why are you drinking your protein after workout? After you work out, you drink the protein, you're still another hour until it's absorbed by your gut and taken up by your muscles. Why don't you put it in beforehand? So I started doing the protein shake before I work out because it doesn't make me feel like heavy or bloated or anything like that. I'll do the aminos when I'm working out. And then yes, D and mag iodine. And that's, that's a daily. These are, these are my non-negotiable dailies. D magnesium iodine, the aminos C60, put that into my coffee, collagen for hair, skin, all of that. And then I start to bring things in and out. So I've been doing for a while there, I felt really inflamed. So I actually popped in my Hashimoto's fix or black cumin seed oil, pop that in, started taking that every day to reduce the inflammation. Now I'm setting that aside. If my hair kind of gets funky, mm-hmm. I'll add in some of the beef organs. I'll add in, I know you interviewed Faraz Khan. I have his hair supplements. I'll start popping that. And then I'll, that, I'll put that aside. So I bring things in and out. I mean, and we get so many free things that I have this like wall of supplements of just samples and free stuff. And I'm like, maybe I'll try the algae today. <laughs> I'll yeah. put that in. I mean, I just rotate thing, things in and out, but there are those core dailies. And then there's the ones that come in almost as an as needed. As we enter winter, I'll bring in some monolaurin. I'll increase my D. I'll add in some zinc. Little things like that, that, that can kind of come in and out even with seasons. If I'm feeling run down, I'll increase my iodine, do it twice a day. I'll add in B, I'll add in... Oh gosh, who knows what else? Some, you know, liver, some beef liver, maybe even some iron. If I, cause I can actually feel if I'm low in iron, I don't need a test. I start to bruise. I start to get really fatigued. So I'll add that in. So it really is, it's kind of like supplementation based on intuition, I guess we could call it. Well, it's it's informed, informed intuition, right? It's educated intuition. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So now did you hear, I mean, I'm sure you have, but I just started using it for the first time. Mechano growth factor, MGF. I'm loving it. So I, I originally incorporated it in as a healing stack. So I did the BPC 157, TB500, GHKCU. And then I, I looked at this as it has some studies on it at protecting muscles. So if you do have to take time off from from working out or post-surgery healing, post-injury, this is really good. And it also showed some promise at muscle hypertrophy. So I'm like, mm. okay, since I'm in this muscle gain quest, right? So I started using it and I got to tell you, I mean, again, I don't know what the thing is. I don't know if it's because I'm doing this new lifting program. I don't know if it's because I'm eating protein like it's my job. I don't know mm. if it's, you know, the peptides are all the things working together, but literally, I mean, I made a couple like Instagram posts on this. I have better shoulders and biceps now than I did in my 20s when I was competing. I have this little vein going down my, I'm like, oh, look at that. It looks so good. Right. And I mean, <laughs> I would, I would struggle with that back in my 20s. Now, again, in my 20s, was I over exercising, under eating? 
probably even low in testosterone, but who's going to test a 20 year old for testosterone, right? So all of that could have been going on. And that's why I didn't build back then, but I am now. I don't know, but that, that peptide is something that I'm really keeping in regular circulation because I see such a difference with it. That's so interesting. I have not gone there. I think, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, write that one down. Look that up. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look into that. Um, because of course, as you may or may not know, I can't use the growth hormone secretagogues or TB4. So I'm my immune system's just like, yeah, that'd be a no go. So you know, which is which is interesting, and I think one of those things about peptides that people forget, and I get people in my community all the time saying. How is it possible that I I get these red itchy welts whenever I use XYZ? And I'm like, it is so possible because don't forget that, you know, we, the people in these communities think that everybody does this and everybody knows about this, but this is, there's a lot of uncharted territory here and we don't have all the answers and the immune system is very specific about what it likes and doesn't like. And don't be thinking you're going to mess with your immune system. Right. <laughs> it doesn't want, if it if it's not prepared to take something. So I do love that MGF. Now, have you heard, you know, continuing in our, you know, backroom discussions here, have you heard of a co- supplement company called Healthgevity where they have a supplement called Longevity? And in that Longevity supplement, there's a fava bean extracted peptide that stimulates growth hormone. Oh, okay. No, so I have not. You can use that for and to support anabolic processes. Now, so, can you use that even though you can't I use can't. it? Oh, oh yeah, because nice. it's not really a growth hormone secretagogue. Like it's not pretending to be, it's not a fat fragment or whatever the case may be. And so for whatever reason, I can use that in between in between my meals when I'm doing my my which I'm in more of an anabolic program right now, if you will. Although right now the anabolic piece, the building piece, if you will, has taken second place to the rebuild the microbiome, rebalance the micronutrients, that kind of thing. Yeah. Now those are fairly, they, they're kind of synergistic, but I'm not pushing the build as hard as I might be otherwise. Right. So, so you definitely, and this speaks a little bit to how your diet changes and your needs and your supplementation change depending on what your, what, what's going on with your body. Mm-hmm. Like I've got to take a step back, right? Fortunately, I'm, I haven't, I'm not, you know, because, you know, I thought it was a really good idea after all that travel to move to just to, you know, finish the job. <laughs> just, right. when you thought it was, just when you thought it was safe to come out of the water. So fortunately I'm now moved. I'm not traveling for a couple of months. So this is my time. And I do think it's important for people to understand Somehow we have to find and make the time to restore, replenish, and rebuild, no matter how busy we think we are, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm going into that ladies' retreat in November and I'm going to be depleted. And I don't want to show up depleted. I want right. to show up showing that before you literally face plant into the wall, if you do the right testing, if you pay attention to the signals your body is sending you, you can kind of pull yourself back from the brink, rebuild, restore, rejuvenate, and continue on your merry way. The thing in, in, about this podcast was about, no, we're not perfect. No, we don't do all the things all the time. We too realize we have to cycle. We have to phase things in out. We have times where we fall off the wagon a little bit. The key is, can you, before you completely crash and burn, Notice, test, regroup, reset, and repair. Yeah. And that I think is, I mean, look, we we all wish we were Brian, what's his name? I don't actually wish I was him because I don't think he looks that happy or healthy. Is it Brian Johnson? Um, the the guy who's reversed his biological age by I don't know how many have you not heard about this person? No, I have not heard about him. No. Oh, yeah. No, he came out this spring, I think it was. I think his name is Brian Johnson. And he came out this spring and talking about how he's reversed his biological age by decades. And he takes do you think 25 supplements a day is bad? Like I think he takes 126, whether it's supplements or pills, or I don't know what a day. And his entire existence is focused on reversing his biological age. 
which is an admirable quest. What's amazing. And he's spent no end of money. Like we're talking seven figures. He's doing all the things all the time, every day. And he has had a measure of success, which is really interesting. Yeah. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is what's it worth to you? At what cost are you willing, are you wanting to do this? And not just financial, because this comes at a cost of your, of your day-to-day life, of mm-hmm. your, you know, of your ability to move more freely in the world and connect with people in a different way, which isn't to say you have to do it over a margarita and a pizza. I don't believe that at all. Right. I'm not a drinker. That's just not my thing. But whatever it means to you, where are you wanting to draw the line? Right. How far is it really worth it to give up all that stuff so that you can get rid of that last three pounds? I'm to me, it's can we find the line to get to our optimal health with a great body composition, feeling good, being healthy, and enjoying our day-to-day life at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want people to think either, just one last thing I'll add in as you were talking about that. I thought about all the, you know, the podcast guys that we listen to. Like I I love Ben, Ben Greenfield, love him to death, love him. But I ain't got the time to wake up and stand outside of my bare feet and look at the sun and then do a sauna and then do a cold plunge and then do some meditation and some yoga and walk on a treadmill as I'm answering emails and then get my workout in and then go do a hike out in nature. And that, I just don't like that to me, that just puts stress on me just saying all of that. I want to do those things. Like I'll stand in front of my red light. And then maybe the next day, once I get a sauna, I'll pop in the sauna and then maybe I'll do a cold plunge. And then that, but I'm not doing all the things all day long. I don't have the time for that. So that's the other message that I want to get across to our listeners. You don't have to be biohacking perfect. We give you all this information. And yes, I mean, I will do things here and there. And there's absolutely hardcore, amazing evidence to all of those, to the cold plunges, to the infrared sauna, to the red light, to the peptides, all of it. I mean, fantastic evidence as to how it can benefit you and your body, but I can't do it every single day. So Mm -hmm. I figure 80-20 rule applies here. 80% of the time, I'm pretty good on point. 20%, not so much. And that's okay. Yeah, no, I love it. It's a very balanced approach. But you know, and and I think what bears repeating one more time is also there will be times where you have to lean in more heavily than others, Mm -hmm. right? As you're, if you're out of balance, you may have to go to 90, 10 or 95, five, maybe even a hundred if you need to, right? Definitely. For a period of time to come back to that balance. And then you get to find the edges of your body's ability to remain healthy where you want it to be within, within a certain guideline, right? Whatever your thing is. And I get people saying this to me on occasion when I'm talking to them is they're like, you know, how do you do all the things all the time? And I, and, and I, I think that's what sparked this episode was just sharing with people that we do what we need to, and as much as we can, and what we know will support our ability to do, to be healthy and happy and be able to deliver and connect with you guys to the best of our ability and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's 24 seven, mm-hmm. but it does prioritize. I, I do. I mean, I'm sure you do too, but I do prioritize sleep. Does it mean that I never stay up a little later than I should? No. It, right. You know, there's definitely days when, when I'll stay up a little later than I should. Uh, I love my blue blockers because they save my butt in those times. Yep. I have my bedtime, you know, lately my bedtime sleep pack that I have found to be really powerful has been a little bit of ketone ester and my essential amino acids right before bed. Mm -hmm. I find that, you know, that seems to help my body recover and and get that deep sleep that it needs, but I'm not going to do that every single day. Right. Very well said. I think this has been a fantastic episode. I think our listeners will greatly appreciate our, our realness with them our realness so Matt thank you for sharing everything that that you shared about kind of a look inside your personal life and your day-to-day activities so I think it's been great I, I I thank you for your time on this one 
And you, Amy. I mean, thank you for sharing and telling us a little, give us a little bit insight into Amy's life. Absolutely. <laughs> a day in the life. And we'll have to do this again. Thank you. 100%. Thanks, Matt. Bye, guys.